ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Versalips, to be your best, you need to squat your best. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG wireless ICS system can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com 
mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. And Versalist. When you're at the gym working on your squats, building your leg strength for the next rescue mission, depth matters. If you're like me, getting below parallel on your squats is tough. Well, allow me to introduce Versalifts Heel Inserts. These gems have become one of my new favorite accessories in my gym bag. Simply place them into your regular training shoe, either on top or underneath the insole, and bam! You've got a heel lift benefit of a weightlifting shoe, but the comfort and flexibility of your regular trainer. So the next time your workout just has heavy squats, grab your V2 strength inserts. Or how about a run, pull up, push up, air squat, and another run? Grab your V2 endurance insert. Or my own personal workout of running, clusters, and ring muscle up. Grab your original V2 inserts and go crush it. Check them out today at vlifts.com or on Instagram at Versalift. And when you're ready to get a few pair of your own, make sure you get your 10% off with the Real Rescue discount code. Squat well, friends. In February of 2023, the United States Coast Guard responded to a vessel in distress. The Mayday call came in and two 47-foot motor light vessels as well as a helicopter showed up on scene. As the helicopter was watching the 47-footers work to try to help the mariner, the decision was made it was time to put the rescue swimmer in the water. At the same time, the flight mechanic on board grabbed his video camera. What he captured that day went viral. The U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer Instagram page, that video hit over 90,000 views. As a matter of fact, that video hit not only local news, including the Astorian, it also made national news, including the New York Times, CNN, and Fox News, just to name a few. Well, today in this episode, we get the crew to give us a full debrief of that case. So please welcome the entire crew, their story and what they did that day, the Coast Guard helicopter crew of the 6009. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today, uh, this is going to be awesome. I'm totally pumped. I've been actually pumped about this for a long time. We have the crew. Yes, the entire crew that was part of the Astoria, Oregon Dude that jumped on a boat, boat got hit by a wave, and it flipped over, and our boy's in the water, swimming over to it, and gets all pumped when it gets back into the aircraft. That's right. It's the entire crew. What aircraft will we fly in? What uh, number? 6009. The crew of the 6009, U.S. Coast Guard. What's up, fellas? <laughs> how's it going? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Dude, I, I cannot thank you guys enough for coming on, and... uh let me get into a little introduction to make sure I've got everybody. Um, so it, the pilot in command was Mr. Will Sort. S- what is it? Sir Rockman. Sir Rockman. Sir Rockman. Go. I should have known. I should have remembered that. Sir <laughs> Rockman. <laughs> sir. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Will Sir Rockman, the pilot in command, uh, sitting left seat in this in particular incident, right? That's correct. 
Trip Haas. Yeah. I got Hayes. that one, didn't I? Hey, oh, Hayes. <laughs> Trip Hayes. God, I even practiced that. It's terrible. You were the you're the SIC on the aircraft, sitting in the right seat. Our two flight mechs, Joe Ivy, flight mechanic who actually did the hoisting, and our second flight mechanic, uh, Kyle Turcott. Uh, Turcott. Yeah. Oh, I, it's the only one I got. It's, it's great. <laughs> and you were the flight mech that was in the aircraft filming everything, which went totally viral and everybody knows it. And then we have a brother of mine, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer, number 1032, Mr. Branch Walton. Guys, stoked to have you guys on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's do this. Uh, the first thing I want to do, actually, if you guys want to introduce yourself a little bit and just Will, we'll start with you. Like, j just a, a quick brief. U.S. Coast Guard, go. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, uh, Will Rockman? I actually grew up in Seattle, so just right up the road from Astoria. Uh, currently stationed down at ATC Mobile in uh, Alabama. So as an instructor pilot, I'm part of the Advanced Helicopter Rescue School instructor team. Um, and prior to Mobile, I was in Sitka, Alaska and Cape Cod, Massachusetts, doing search and rescue. Nice. Right around my backyard. Just saying. All right, that. Cool. Trip. All right. Good morning. Uh, Trip Hayes. I'm actually from here in Mobile, Alabama, where I'm stationed right now at ATC. Uh, product of uh, officer candidate school and then uh, flight school tour in Astoria, Oregon, and then uh, Sitka, Alaska. Came down here to Mobile this past summer, and uh, and like Will, part of the uh, the AHARS team. Nice, uh, AHARS. Can you say that the whole thing? Absolutely, Advanced Helicopter Rescue School. Nice, thank you. That way, I don't have to say it later. Oh yeah, <laughs> appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, Joe Ivy. Uh, grew up in Independence, Missouri, and I've uh, been in about seventeen years. Hit up uh, Cape Cod. Uh, Sitka, Trevor City, and now I'm on the stand team, the enlisted stand team out of Mobile here and on the AHARS crew as well. Cool. You said Missouri? Yes. You know there's no ocean. How did you find the Coast Guard? <sighs> I, that's in the I, very I, middle I, of the country. That myself. Yeah, that's that's a very long story, but uh, okay. uh, we'll save I it. honestly save don't it. know how it <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. All right, Kyle. Uh, AT1 Kyle Turcott uh, on the enlisted stand team with Joe, also a AHARS instructor. Um, been for going on 13 years now. Been stationed in uh, Cape Cod, Mobile. Did the stand up for the 60s in Puerto Rico. Now back here on the state. Excellent. And the boy Branch. Uh, Branch Walton. I'm originally from Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, this is my first unit here in North Bend, Oregon. So. Oh, you're up in North Bend, uh, Coos mm -hmm. Bay? Yep. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah, I was in Humboldt. I used to go up there all the time. And yes, I'm from oh, yeah. Massachusetts, so Cape Cod. I know Cape Cod. Hey, all right. Right on. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. All right, so let's do this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into a little bit of the... Uh, I just want to read an article. Everybody in the rescue world has seen this video that you guys that uh, Kyle shot, but again, I, I got to go to it. So the Astorian, uh, which is the local newspaper in Astoria, Oregon, they uh, came out with this article and says, police arrest a man for theft after boat rescue. A Victoria, British Columbia man suspect 
uh, suspected of leaving dead fish on the porch of the Goonies house in Upper Town was arrested on Friday night for theft, hours after he was rescued from a capsizing boat near the mouth of the Columbia River. Jericho Labonte, 35, allegedly stole the boat from West Mooring Basin in Astoria and took it past the Columbia River bar into the Pacific Ocean. The U.S. Coast Guard received an emergency broadcast from the vessel, personal craft Sandpiper, and sent boat and air crews. Hazardous surf rescued, uh, hazardous surf made rescue by boat dangerous, officials said, so air crew lowered a rescue swimmer. Game on. All right. So I want to back up to the very beginning of this before you guys got called out. What were you doing? Now, all of you guys have said you're with uh, AHARS, so the Advanced Helicopter Rescue School. Did I say that right? AHARS? Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, so you guys were out there with actually a training class, an AHARS class. And that's actually why, Branch, you were down there, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Cool. So, Will, if I can start with you, what what was the deal? Uh, were you guys out flying? Were you on the ground? or? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can kind of paint the picture. The uh, So that was Friday, and it was basically Branch's graduation day, uh, the last week of the five-day course. Uh, because of the weather forecast, which was heavy seas and high winds, we were going to do a heavy seas training day. Um, but actually, based on the forecast, we thought it might be outside of our training limits. Uh, so generally, if the winds are sustained over 40 knots, um, or seas breaking waves bigger than 15 feet or swell greater than 20 feet. That's kind of our training limit. So the forecast was showing that we'd exceed that on that day, but it was close enough that we thought oh, we're going to go fly and evaluate the training area because sometimes we can find pockets to work where we're going to be, you know, within limits. Um, and so that it was unique that we flew out basically with four instructors on board um, because a lot of times we would already have students on board at this point. Um, but because we wanted to evaluate the training area first, um, Tripp and I, Joe and Kyle all flew out together and we figured we'd give it a look. Um, so we at, you know, the weather at the airport was not terrible. Like it was like 25 knot winds and uh, VFR conditions. Uh, we were able to, to head out to the training area. And as soon, as soon as we were heading out there, the winds were really picking up. It got to um, just about 40 knots in the Columbia River, the Clatsop Spit area, which is, that's kind of our, one of our main training areas for the heavy seas rescue. Um, and so we were doing some approaches, evaluating winds, and basically determined that the winds were sustained about 45 knots. So at that point, we were kind of like, ah, don't think, you know, We'd already made the decision we weren't going to try to waive our training limits that day. Sometimes we can get approval um, from the ops boss to train when they're outside of limits, but because of the forecast for increasingly uh, higher winds and, and larger seas, we, we were like, hey, if we're outside of our limits, we're, we're not gonna train today. Uh, so we, we were pretty much right at that point. We had radioed back to uh, Senior Chief Kirkendall that, hey, we're, we're seeing winds at you know, at this level, probably uh, we'll keep looking, but we may not be able to train. Uh, and that's the point where the Maydays, you know, the Maydays started coming in. So, and we were able to overhear it. I think Kyle uh, and Joe heard it uh, in the back on the radios. All right, real quick question. You said you went out with four guys. So it was 
you will and then trip joe and kyle you four went out so where where's branch uh, i was in the classroom <laughs> chugging water and trying to get pumped up to go do training so <laughs> oh this is getting better oh i like this all right <laughs> All right, so uh, let me go to Joe and Kyle real quick. You guys heard the mayday over the radio? Yes, sir. Yeah, it was a uh, very short mayday call. Um, no real amplifying information to it. Uh, so just a real quick mayday, mayday. And uh, we heard it over the radio, heard Sector uh, reply to it. And then uh, Sector couldn't get him back uh over the radio so we had to call over call to sector and say yeah we heard it too so that they could start triangulating things and seeing kind of figuring out where it came from but uh just um it was very uh everything was just normal on our flight in to get branch because we were heading in to pick him up and actually on the approach to pick him up to go do training is when we heard that initial mayday call Oh, so you guys were on your way back to land to go. We were, so, so, yeah. So we fly from Astoria, uh, air station Astoria to uh, Cape D pad. Um, where the motor Cape disappointment, which is North, just throwing that out there. I help everybody out a little bit. Right. Right. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so just for the record, uh, guys in Australia might not know. So I, I would, I'm just trying to help them out a little bit. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll try to be a little more descriptive here, but uh, we fly into there to pick our students up. So uh, we fly in with four guys and they're all instructors for AHARS. And then two of us get out and we swap out with students that are sitting at the classroom. Um, plus we pick up a couple of rescue swimmers with those students. So uh, what should have happened is, is we should have flown into that pad. One of our pilots got out. Um, one of the flight mechs got out and then two uh, students, a pilot and a flight mech gets in with us. And then we also pick up two rescue swimmers and head out to do our evolutions. Nice. Okay. So you're headed up to Cape D landing pad. Branch is coming out, throwing his stuff over his shoulder and be like, what's up? Flipping your hair, helmet on, helmet off, and then helmet back on. Be like, let's go boys. Is that kind of how, right? I mean, I just see Branch like, hey, right. <laughs> Actually, real quick, Bridge, how did you get picked to go? Uh, it was a it was a game of a tournament of like rock paper scissors. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we were all sitting there, and um, yeah, one of the older older swimmers was like, "Yeah, like let the younger guys do like rock paper scissors." I'm gonna go on it. Everyone did rock paper scissors. I was just sitting there, and I finally got up and did rock paper scissors. Ended up winning. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is actually happening. I got to go grab my helmet or something." So. I was all nervous and stuff, so it was good though. Is this your first? Was this your first rescue? Yes. Yeah. Your very first one. Mm -hmm. Oh, memorable case! Oh my gosh! Yeah. All right, I'm gonna come wait. I'm coming back to you later. Right, we're gonna get. We're gonna get more from you. All hey, right, Jason. So I, sorry. If I if I can interject on that, and I, you may talk about it more later, but as I learned after the fact, like that sounded like such a cool process where they're. I think we had eight rescue swimmers in the Cape Disappointment classroom, like ready to go. And, you know, we hear this mayday call. We had already, we had also gotten a, an EPIRB hit. So like an emergency position indicating radio beacon hit that, hey, there might've been 
a vessel that was sinking. So we had two things telling us there was SAR going on and we're radioing back to the classroom saying, hey, we need a rescue swimmer. And uh, I don't know, Branch could probably elaborate on it, but it sounded like the older guys oh, really empowered uh, the younger rescue swimmers. It's like, hey, we're gonna, let's go young guns. Like this is it. And everybody knew the weather was terrible. So, I mean, they knew that like, hey, this could be a real case. Um, and so that was really cool to hear just, you know, the mentoring and the, and the older guys like putting the, you know. Oh yeah. Giving the younger guys a chance to step up. So that was really awesome. Yeah. yeah oh, I, I love it. I love it. Like, hey, it's t it's time to earn it. Yeah, I mean, you already earned it. It's going. Go get it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. So you guys come into land. You know there's a rescue. Brent, you jump on the aircraft. Uh, let, let me go to you. Um, Trip, give me, like, you're sitting right seat. So I assume you're you're the one briefing kind of everybody in, in branch as to what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at that point, uh, with the way the weather was, we didn't really know what the nature of distress or even where the distress was. So, uh, we got branch on board, uh, and, and Will was really doing, uh, what we call like the button pushing the flight planning and, and building us in a route to get out of the Cape deep Cape disappointment pad into the river and then out over, uh, the Pacific there. So, We'll put a flight plan in that gets us out clear of terrain, uh, and we start trucking outbound on that, not knowing yet what we are uh, getting ourselves into. So I would say for 15 minutes or so uh, after takeoff, it was just us battling the weather conditions and then really just trying to find where this guy was and what was going on. So it was a combination of using uh, our direction finder, our DF, uh trying to hail him and so anytime we could get him to say mayday or call us you know it gives us a, a general direction as to where he is we're using that we're using the df to pick up the epurb and we're feeding all of that information back to our command center and they're triangulating it uh and then ultimately what happened is um we flew out to where we thought he was he quit talking for a little bit and we finally got him to answer about two minutes later and the needle pointed directly behind us. So we knew that we had overflown him and he was somewhere between us and shore. So we yeah. turned around, started going back. Uh, and then that's when we found uh, two of the 47 foot motor lifeboats from uh, the National Motor Lifeboat School uh, had just crossed the bar. And uh, the three of us hit the search area. And, uh, and truthfully, it's crazy as it sounds, those boats are, I wanna say, uh, around 23 feet tall or so total, the swells were just as tall as them, and they're the wow. ones who saw the boat first. So we're oh, sitting wow. there, at, there, we're at 300 feet, searching, looking, uh, and then Chief Hansen, who was on one of the boats, you can hear her call out like, hey, vessel in sight, 10 o'clock, like all of us, like cage, look in that direction, it's like, holy crap, there it is, like game on. Uh, and then that's when we hopped into all of our briefs and, uh, and really just get everybody on the same page as to what we thought was going to happen. Nice. All right. Before we get into that part of it, Will, you and I had talked a little bit um, offline when this whole, when you and I really started getting all this stuff together, you'd mentioned there was a lot of work with the vessel or the two Coast Guard boats that were there. What, what was their role in a lot of this? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and to, to add on to what Tripp was saying, the weather, the visibility and ceilings had dropped significantly at this point too. So it was really like the timing was 
it was the worst case timing for this guy as far as weather was concerned. So we were cruising, you know, at times at like 150 feet. So we're trying to navigate, you know, out the mouth of the Columbia River. So making sure we're not running into, uh, you know, large cargo ships coming in. Um, but when we, so we started, we established columns with the 47s and just hearing their communication over the radio was really impressive because you could, you could tell that they were in it. I mean, they were in some serious swell, um, talking about the state of the Columbia river bar, talking about based on the forecast of this, the, um, the increasing sea state that the bar may be closing that day. Um, and so they, you know, they would potentially have an even more challenging time coming back in uh, and crossing the bar again on the back half of the rescue. So, you know, we were just listening to their operational risk management and really impressed with, with how they were like aggressively pursuing the SAR case, but then also recognizing all the different hazards. I mean, really a lot of just the objective hazards of the seas and the winds that day. Um, and so, I don't know, we were really impressed with their ability to get out there and, and really like pursue this case and get on scene. And like Tripp said, they were the ones that spotted it. Um, at that point, we were, we were kind of flying uh, offset from them and we had input a search pattern in to be searching that area. Um, how long it would have taken us to find him who knows, you know, and as you know, the video shows it ended up being like time was of the essence because that boat ended up capsizing. So, you know, I think, you know, their ability to get out there was huge and instrumental in like the successful outcome uh, for the survivor. And then as we get into talking more about on scene, uh, they worked very hard to get him a life jacket and I mean, in my opinion, that's, he survived because he had a life jacket on. I mean, he was on that boat when it capsized and got tossed and, uh, you know, he was able to resurface and, and branch got him. So the fact that the boats were able to, to find him and get him that life jacket was, I think essential. It would not, I don't think it would have been the same outcome, uh, without so the, their efforts. The two coast guard boats, the 47s rolled up and threw a life jacket over to this guy to try to help him out and was there any instruction to try to get him to drive the boat like up, back out to sea or anything like that or do you know um well so it was it was a very long process and i'll, I'll let these the other guys tell it because i was okay. in the left seat you could see less of it but it was uh, i think it took four or five attempts to get the life jacket they were trying to throw it via uh, like a hand line but i'll let these right guys on. talk about it well, Trip, let me let me come to you because you're sitting right seat. You've got the boat out of probably the one to two o'clock position ish. Huh? Good reference. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Uh, hey, yeah. uh, just saying. I'm just saying. All right. So what what are you looking at with the the Coast Guard boats? I am going to come to you guys, Joe, Kyle, Branch. I'm coming to you guys. I promise. Yeah. One of the uh, so yeah, we definitely had the boat at like the one to two o'clock, but. Uh, Something that we as aviators fail to to realize a lot of times is like when we're sitting in there with all of our hearing protection on, like we can talk to each other crystal clear, but we can make too much noise for people. So we intentionally backed off about two to three hundred yards. But the wind was so strong that we just sat there in a hover watching the case with plenty of power. So we could have flown out at any time single engine. So we just sat back, watch them, let them do their thing. And on I, I don't know, time feels different when you're in this, but I would say 
15 to 20 minutes. Uh, oh, wow. Them approach the boat. Uh, I want to say three to five times, uh, throwing them heaving line, throwing them a heaving line, getting them a life jacket, uh, trying different things. But uh, when we arrived first, and I'll kind of backtrack a little bit, you asked about were they trying to get him to come turn back out to sea. There was this weird part of it where we had the mayday call to begin with. We had like a second mayday call. And then at one point he made a random radio call about like, I'm I'm outside of the Clumber River. I don't remember the exact details, but something with some kind of little detail. But then we never talked to him again. And then about 10 or 15 minutes later is when we find him. But when we get to the boat, we can't find anybody on board. Doesn't answer the radio. Nobody's on deck. Nobody's in the bridge. And so there was a period of time where it was like, maybe we need to shift this focus to a person in the water or looking for a raft behind this boat that's just driving uh, because the boat was moving pretty erratically with the swell and wasn't really staying in the swell like you would expect a boat to. So together with the 47s, they started, uh, I would just call it maybe like circling the boat, trying to find somebody. And uh, when I was in the right seat, I came down the left side of the boat so I could look real closely inside. Joe and Kyle could look out the cabin door and we looked and looked and like got close to the boat, trying to make a bunch of noise to make anybody come outside that would, nothing. Then we came back around to the left side. Will took the controls, got really close to the, uh, the, uh, the starboard bow. And at that point we saw a hand just like stick out of a curtain and, and wave. And all you could just see was like this little bitty white palm I'm on the side of this whole boat. And that's when we knew that there was somebody on board. So that's when we backed off. The 47 stayed close. And then within the next couple of minutes, he made his way to the stern of the boat so they could start giving him verbal commands. Gotcha. And at what point did the, the two Coast Guard 47s back off? That, that was at the point where um, they had successfully gotten him a life jacket. And they were discussing using one of their boat crew members as a surface rescue swimmer. So okay. that we kind of chimed in saying, hey, we we have this this guy in the back branch who like he'd probably be a really good option to use right here. Uh, so that's when uh, in, in the communication with them, it's like they got him the jacket. But now it was kind of time for us to uh, switch positions. And uh, it would be safer for Branch to do the rescue versus one of theirs. Right on. All right. Yes. Hey, Let yeah, me, I'll yeah, add Go to, ahead, Will. No, no, I was just going to say, like, I mean, we talked about the operational risk management earlier. And, like, this case, it came into play a lot because – and it was really challenging on in this part because we've got two different assets. So you've got the motor lifeboats, and, you know, they – they're experts at their world, but, you know, we can't fully assess their risk versus gain. And then we know our own risk versus gain, but you're trying to figure out, Hey, what's the best, what's the best asset to do the job? Um, is it their surface swimmer? They had already ruled out. There was no way they were going to come alongside and get this on guy on board. I mean, it was like 20 to 25 foot seas. The, the buoy there at the time was showing a, uh, like a 20, 23 foot means swell at uh, 12 seconds and it was blowing 50 knots at that time. They were not able to do like a, a you know, a transfer like that. Um, and they had actually asked us, Hey, can you hoist this guy from the boat? 
we we gave that a quick no i mean we <laughs> just the size of the boat i don't know i love it it's like 40 feet and in those type of seas there was we weren't going to be able to hoist directly to the boat so yeah it was really an interesting time kind of those five minutes where we're trying to figure out with the boat like hey what's the best way to do this and and uh I guess what's the best way to balance the risk and manage the risk? I love it. Love it. All right. Let me get to Joe and Kyle. You guys roll up into a hover. Cabin door comes open. What are you guys looking at? Because I already know what Kyle's looking at. Where's my camera? And how am I going to film this? That's exactly what went through your head. I know that. So what, what are you guys looking at? Oh, I mean, you know, I was just trying to do the best I could to kind of sit back and help uh, help Joe and Branch out. But I mean, looking at all that stuff, it was interesting watching those boat crews come up, um, trying to get uh, get stuff to the guy in the back of the vessel. Um, they did get the life jacket on. I think they actually had a radio that broke free. Um, but once they finally backed off, it was just, I mean, it was impressive for me sitting in the back listening to... Uh, the conversations and the CRM stuff between uh, Mr. Hayes and uh, and Branch and Joe getting ready to get Branch in the water. But I mean, Joe Joe was really the guy in the door, kind of running through all the CRM and talking about how to how to successfully do this and keep Branch as safe safe as possible because that was our number one priority. Right on. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Joe, if you don't mind, give us a little rundown. Like, what were you thinking? I mean, so real quick, you guys specifically have i mean you're a horse instructor so you guys have been hoisting for quite a while you've probably hoisted in seas similar to that so what's going through your head with especially putting branch down knowing that branches is, is your first case and and branch i'm not taking anything away from you but because we all have our first case but at the same time as an experienced guy in the door you're like i mean heck i remember my flight mech you scared no you should be it lowers me out i'm like there you <laughs> uh, so Joe, what you, you're looking at it like, what do you, what's your evaluation of this? Yeah, so um, whenever the boats kind of uh, got out of the area for us, we, we asked them to give us a little bit of room uh, just because of the swells and we didn't know how close to the water we were going to have to sit down and hover. Um, we started trying to figure out other ways of doing it other than just going straight to putting branch in the water. And one of those ways was uh, the boat crew had that radio that broke free from them whenever they were trying to throw the heaving line on. We also have a radio up in the aircraft and uh, I started rigging it to see if I could just hoist the radio onto the boat and get it to them. And after some uh, equipment issues and different things like that, I, I just I was back there working and I just looked up at Branch and said, this is stupid. Let's just get them. <laughs> so, um, yes. So, just, like, yeah, so, man, that's what I would have said <laughs> five minutes ago, man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hayes was completely on board. He, he had already, uh, uh, said that we could use our rescue swimmer. Um, and as you said, the rest of us have been doing this a while. Like we've done, uh, we teach this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, this is Branch's first week. This is his first SAR case. And to his credit, um, everything that we went through in the aircraft, he was giving feedback on. He was 
he was uh, telling us what, what he wanted to do, what he didn't want to do. Um, we both came up with a plan of how we were going to rescue this guy. And uh, the story later on is none of those plans worked out. Uh, we just had to adapt, adopt uh, different policies in order to make it work out. Um, so, but Branch was great all the way through it. Um, and there was not like a time where that there was just one person in the aircraft making all the decisions. We decided, we, we talked about things. Um, we even had a moment where that we foreshadowed uh, what was actually going to happen to the boat because I turned around a branch at one point and um, I think I said along the lines of, hey, uh, see the right side of that boat? Let's not go there. Um, so <laughs> everything worked out. Um, Thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 would have been rather tragic. But uh, um, we decided on a particular kind of hoist, and uh, started moving in from there. And things were very black and white at that moment. And as the rescue kind of progressed, uh, it wasn't a black and white case at all. Right. Oh yeah. No. Um. So. You want me to start going into the actual hoisting evolutions? Uh, no, let let me come down uh, to Branch. Branch, all right, yeah. buddy. Cabin door comes open. You see like big waves outside of training limits. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> 24 breakers. What's going through your head, dude? Uh, yeah, no, I was. I'm gonna be honest. I was kind of nervous. I mean, don't say that. That's awesome. But, uh, I knew I was in great hands. You know, I knew I was in great hands. Um, and something that I thought was really cool is when we were doing the brief to go in, like, I mean, I, I was nervous. I, like, took – I was, like, going off ICS, and Lieutenant H or H Hayes was like, no, 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 no. Uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah we got to go over this, huh? Um, and then we came up – we came up with a uh, – No, I love a... that. I love that. All right, put me in, Coach. Put, oh, wait. Oh, we got to talk about this first. My bad. It's, uh, I think the, the exact words were – we, I go, Branch, uh, do you feel comfortable doing this? He's like, yes, sir. Uh, going off ICS. I think I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> talk about this, man. Like, well, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. And, but what I thought was really cool is uh, we came up with like a plan A and B. So there's two plans for um, getting the guy. So I thought that was pretty neat. And I had to go to the bathroom really bad. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> I need to get in that water. I had to go. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny! Uh, all right, uh, we'll go into the hoist. Go ahead. Actually, let me set it up with. Uh, um, sorry, with trip first. You're coming in. How close were you getting to the vessel? Yeah, not. Um, I know I look at the site picture often, but uh, it was a balance between we needed branch to be close enough where like. We didn't want to be far away where when we put branch in the water, if a vessel, if the current or a wave moved the boat, there was like branch was never going to catch it. But we also couldn't get the helicopter so close where if a wave catches it like it did, we're in a compromised position. When we put them in the water, I would estimate we were 40 yards away from the boat. Is that fair? That's fair. Uh, off the stern. Uh, and the whole intent of it was we matched the current or we figured out what the current was, matched the boat's drift. So we knew that when we put branch in the water, it wouldn't push the boat at branch. So 
we put him directly behind the stern and let the current uh help branch i mean you saw it, it looks like he was like swimming on top of the water oh uh, yeah uh, yeah. I was, yeah i'm gonna get to that in a minute too <laughs> yeah but, uh, also, freaking motorboat right there <laughs> yeah that's kind of how we broke down uh like where we were gonna put branch in nice all right yeah. um joe hoisting them in like at altitude hoist cable out how much yeah uh i think we were sitting probably just a little high probably 40 to 50 feet uh give or take uh and from the from the crest is that accurate yeah yeah truthfully i was all okay. over the it was place probably a little lower <laughs> from the crest uh we, yeah we were uh we were constantly adjusting both our position and altitude for the uh kind of seas that we had out there yeah um we he went out the door uh i hoisted him down and i had to hold him for quite a while uh because we had a set that came in on us and I didn't want to put him in the water and immediately have him start uh, trying to figure out uh, the next set that was going to come in or have him really navigate the next wave that was going to come in. So nice. I'm there for a good, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds, quite a while actually in, in terms of hoisting. Um, waited for a little bit of a lull to come in. And Whenever I got that lull, I really uh, sent him into the water. Um, he detached very quickly and started swimming towards the boat. Um, I think all of this happens a lot quicker than other cases whenever I'm actually putting them into the water. Uh, it was just a small window that we had and um, I was really, I don't know, just a little bit of adrenaline maybe, I don't know. Uh, just getting them into the water. So it probably wasn't even a very good entry for him. It was probably rather, <laughs> rather quick. Uh, a little cannibal action. <laughs> it really was. It really was. It was not my smoothest work I've ever had. Um, but he went in the water, disconnected himself, and immediately started swimming towards the boat. Um, right. I retrieved the hoist hook, and uh, then we waited for everything else to kind of pan out as far as him getting the survivor into the water. All right. Branch, you're up, dude. Game on. You're in the water. Dude, everybody yeah. in, in the planet that's done search and rescue saw you swimming balls to the wall. Straight. There was a wake behind you. You know this, right? Like <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I'm like, damn, he is moving. I mean, I was anyway. Go ahead. I was I was swimming, but People were talking about I was swimming super fast and stuff. No, it, like the helicopter was moving backwards, and there was a current. Oh, no. I was like, <laughs> like I was, I was, I was trying to move, but um, I'm not a super fast swimmer. So, but uh, no, I got over there, um, and I was yelling at him to get in the water, um, and he was so yelling, you, hold on, yelling back. You, so you were at. This is another question because it's a little bit hard to see from the video. So you make it all the way to him to be able to have a conversation with him, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously you're watching uh, wave sets come in and boat and you got head on a swivel, even though it's your first case. I know you have full situational awareness. I'm throwing you a ball. Yeah, dude. Okay. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you're, yeah. you're having a conversation with him. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm talking to him. He's, he's yelling back. I don't know what he's saying. It's loud and stuff. I'm just getting the water. Like, let's go. We don't, we don't have tons of time here. Like I'm trying to, Let's get, let's get out of here. Um, and then he just pointed over, and I just saw the white water come in, and yeah, that was 
that was kind of it, you know. Uh, duck dive? Uh, just get yeah. pulled? Like... Uh, yeah, no, I tried to back away from the boat a little bit because, um, I mean, we did brief that, like, if a wave did come like that, didn't want me getting curled up in a boat at all. Um, okay. So I did try to, I tried to back away a little bit. And then um, none of the other waves that did anything like that to the boat, like, flipped it or anything. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to duck dive under this wave, come back up, and then get him off the boat and put the sling on him and then get the bear hook, and it'll be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Um, that's not really not really what happened <laughs> all right so when you when the wave starts coming you back off you go to duck dave uh sorry duck dive under it are you getting pummeled underneath it or or how'd that work or did you have pretty good control uh yeah zero control um awesome <laughs> um yeah no it was, it was eye-opening i mean like because we had been doing this stuff all week and like i'd gotten hit by waves but i mean it was violent um which was kind of wild. Like it was impressive how violent it actually was. Um, just getting thrown around and stuff. Um, I felt bad for him. I mean, he took a ride on that boat and just tumbled off of it, and then got curled up in the wave too. I was like, "That's pretty. That's pretty wild." But um, yeah, and then when I came up, they immediately, immediately saw a hook coming down, which was awesome. It was like it was a sight for sore eyes. So I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> get that while." Well, I was while I was looking for him at the same time and then saw him his head pop up um, in the water and that's when um, Joe brought me up a little bit and then kind of waved off and then we just went into a direct which is something we had been practicing too which is pretty neat so when you say direct you stayed connected to the hook when you went to get him uh, in the water direct deployment yeah the second time mm -hmm. just right direct deployment when you guys brief, let me back up real quick. Dude, I love that, by the way. You just got, like, stonewashed. <laughs> Freaking awesome. Anyway, when you guys briefed to get off the hook and swim over to the boat, um, it, it's interesting as I listen and talk to people around the world because there's such, like, a 50-50. You don't ever let the swimmer off the hook. And you're like, yes, we do. And this is the best way to do it. No, keeping them on the hook is the best way. The fact that you did both on this in particular mission, I – that to me is pretty cool. Um, but what was the decision making with getting off the hook originally? Was that just to swim over to try to get him in the water and have a conversation with him? Oh uh, yeah, that go ahead. That was that was exactly it. Um, so uh, I'll kind of get into the specifics of it. That decision was made because we had those spots on scene there. Um, I don't think that I would have chose to do that particular kind of hoist if I didn't have some sort of backup for branch um, in right case on. emergency. Um, since I had the boats there, I thought that branch going out the door, being able to get away from the helicopter, um, and we, we did slide back significantly, probably 30, 40 yards. Uh, once we dropped him off, we slid back so that he could communicate with the survivor. And then also make sure the survivor had the flotation and everything on prior to entering the water because we obviously didn't mean for him to enter the water the way he did. We just wanted, we wanted Branch to have those conversations. And uh, so we chose a lull. We thought we were going to have a longer time in between those waves. And I think that was the ultimate decision to actually him coming off of the hook. Right on. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would, I'm all about it. 
Go ahead, Will. The, um, you know, so one thing that's cool is like, we had been practicing this stuff for two weeks, you know, leading up to this, which was awesome as, you know, not Branch, he was there for the week. Um, but Trip, you know, Joe, Kyle and I had been there. So, you know, I wasn't doing the hoisting. I'm sitting in the left seat, but I had full confidence in these guys just because I knew like, hey, we've been doing this for the past two weeks. And the sea state that day, I mean, it was big, but there were not those big spilling waves. I mean, that was the biggest spilling wave all day, you know. <laughs> the, and so, the one. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the like, you know, part of the calculus with him getting off the hook is like, we better be damn sure we can get him back on the hook. Yeah. And I, I feel like we all felt confident based on the proficiency that we had and the conditions that we saw that day. I had full confidence in these guys. Like, Branch is going to get off the hook and we're going to get him back on. Um, the direct, so keeping him on the hook definitely has some advantages. And honestly, it's if the seas are too bad, it might be the only option because you're just, you're not going to, you're not willing to accept the risk of him going off the hook and then not getting him back on. Um, but it is, I think from a, a hoisting, like a flying and, and the hoisting perspective, it's more demanding for a longer period of time. Oh, staying attached to the hook. Yeah. I mean, you're I the swimmer, you know, he's hooked, he's connected to the helicopter for the entire rescue. So yeah. we have to be very precise and move with him as he's get, you know, getting slammed by waves. So it's, we practice it. Um, but it is super demanding. So if we have conditions where it's they're big, but we feel confident, like, hey, we put him in the water, we back off. Now we can move back in for the pickup and we can time the pickup for a lull in the waves. Um, I guess there's still a lot of precision required in the flying, but it's not for such an extended period of time as you would, as would require by a, a direct hoist. So, yeah. I don't know, Trip, sure. is that? Yeah, and I mean, I was one something I'm thinking about as we talk through this again is just, Jason, like you know, our primary device we use for for water rescue is the basket. Yep, uh, totally. But love it. The basket, but in these high seas, that basket can be can be violent, and it's usually our less preferred because of how jerky we are with that. And then, like you think about Branch trying to get somebody in a basket in twenty to thirty foot seas, it's just it's a not. Pain in the ass. So that's one consideration that we had. But then the second, and something that we don't normally think about, but we discussed before we started the evolution is this guy now had on the most like awkwardly fitting, enormous type one PFD. I mean, it was like eight inch floats and it's like awkward. His arms are already kind of stiff. And we had concern if Branch could actually weave a sling through it and successfully hoist the guy or was going to Branch have to like take off this PFD to put a sling on. And so with all of that in mind, we thought by just having the helicopter sit directly on top of them while Branch is doing it and it was going to take longer, that was kind of the, the worser of the options of just having Branch disconnect. Ultimately, though, I don't, I don't remember all of the footage that was released by the Coast Guard, but what you saw is we started with our plan, then the boat overturned, and we went right back to doing a direct deployment where the swimmer is connected, and it took Branch a, a decent amount of time to get the sling hooked up on this guy uh once we did that so that's just kind of like some of the the things that we were thinking about like and why we elected to have branch disconnect love it all right branch i'm going to come back to you real quick and and 
So now we're going to turn this into a direct deployment. So you're staying attached to the hook. You've got the quick strop with you. You get to the guy and you got a badass flight neck. So he gets you that two to three feet away. Uh, see, I, I got you. <laughs> don't, don't you worry, Joe. Man, I got it. So go ahead, Branch. Run us through it. You got the guy in the water? Yeah. Uh, like you said, got put right on top of him. Um, he immediately turns around. And when he came up from the water, I don't know what happened with his life jacket but it was over one arm so it wasn't like on like over like normal it was over one arm so i was trying to get under that um but yeah he immediately turns around and i'm like no turn back around and then he start, he's like yelling at me like what do, what do i do what do i do i'm like nothing stop don't do anything um he starts like pushing me a little bit and i'm like you stop grabbing me and then i'm probably like so i'm talking to him like trying to get this on him and I'm like, dude, stop grabbing me. Um, For the and, record, yeah. my money is on you. I'm just throwing that out there, dude. <laughs> if it's a wrestling match just... under the helicopter, and you, yeah, my money's on you. <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, and I was definitely pretty cognizant of, you know, surroundings at this point, trying to see if another wave would come, because uh, I have heard stories of, like, a wave hitting while you're attached to the hook, and it could part the cable or something like that. So I was trying to move as fast as possible. Um, I know they were working pretty hard up there trying to keep everything level and everything. And, um, but yeah, I got him, got him hooked up. Um, but yeah, it was really awkward with how his, if his life vest was on there. Um, and I didn't really want to take it off of him because then he wouldn't really have rotation even though I was there. Um, but yeah, so got him up on it and then just gave it ready for pickup. Yeah. Bring him in. Joe, ready for pickup. You yeah, got a time so, wave now because you still got big waves. Yeah, so uh, jumping back just a little bit, once that sure. wave hit, uh, remember how I said that we we moved back about 30, 40 yards. Um, so that wave hit and we didn't have to move. Like it, it actually tumbled branch for that, um, that distance. So he was under the water for a good amount of time. Uh, everybody in the air crew uh, became a little concerned. However, for some odd reason, I was not concerned at all. I was like, <laughs> oh, he's going to pop up. He's fine. Um, I was actually more concerned for the survivor than I was for Branch. Like, Branch is going to swim through this all day. It's not. <laughs> um, I think the Coast Guard deleted what I said. It's yeah. not calling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so I waited for him to pop up. Uh, Kyle got eyes on the survivor whenever the, the survivor came up. Um, we actually did not brief that hoist. Uh, I just sent the hook out the door uh, to get down to branch. And um, I'm not entirely sure how Mr. Hayes knew what was happening because I wasn't communicating that with him yet. And he just said, all right, Joe, get me in there. So uh, looking through your rearview mirror, I have no idea how the hell he knew that. <laughs> <laughs> the hoist duck was going to the bridge at that point. But uh, got him in, uh, got the hook right to Branch, uh, luckily. And uh, Branch hooked up. And before I even started pulling Branch out of the water, I said, all right, uh, we're just going to move straight to the survivor. Um, I'm not bringing Branch up into the cabin. Uh, so we had a set of waves that was coming in. And... Uh, I had to wait for that set uh, to be out of there before I picked Branch up. As soon as Branch got picked up, though, uh, 
luckily we got another lull and delivered them right to the survivor. Um, from there, we didn't entirely know what was going to happen. We didn't know if Branch was going to come back off the hook, uh, how long it was going to take him. Uh, did know that the flotation of the survivor was not great, but we had 50, 60 mile per hour winds at this point in the hoist. Holy so all of the rotor wash was well behind us. And so I don't think that we were putting any rotor wash on the survivor at that point. So uh, we just went right in, hovered right over the top of them uh, and branch started working. It was taking them quite a while. So I decided, hey, instead of just constantly uh, telling the pilot where to position the aircraft uh, in order to stay over the top, I decided, hey, let me let me see if Mr. Hayes can actually get eyes back on branch. So I started paying out a bunch of hoist cable and we came back and uh, the entire air crew ended up being able to see what branch was doing um, until he got the survivor situated enough where that we could hoist him up. Um, the PFD looked like it was hell on branch uh, the survivor was not the most cooperative in the world. So I was just feeling for the poor guy while he was down there doing all this. Uh, but whenever we got the ready for pickup, uh, got back over the top end of branch real quick and lucky that we did. Um, and that we had that kind of precision flying for Mr. Hayes because uh, right whenever I picked him up, we had another set of 20, 30 footers that was going to come through. And so I had to pick him up and um, we had to con the aircraft up in order to clear branch and the survivor from getting hit by the next wave. Oh, wow. Um, Sick. As I'm the survivor. Excited. I'm sorry. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> uh, you know what, branch? I'm so excited for you right now. It's legit. Awesome. Yeah, anyway, keep going. Sorry, Joe. He did. he did absolutely phenomenal through it. Um, as they were coming up, the guy's suit or um, his jacket was kind of obscuring the uh, sling, and I didn't entirely know how um, how he was hooked up to the hoist or how he was connected to branch. And so I, I turned around to Kyle and was like, hey, um, can you help me get him in because I, I don't want him slipping out. Uh, so they came up in a little bit of a swing because it wasn't the greatest pickup in the world, but had to get them out of the water. And so as I was trying to control the swing up, Kyle reached down and grabbed either Branch's hand or something on Branch. And uh, Kyle helped me get them into the cabin uh, pretty efficiently, really. And uh, once they were once they started coming into the cabin, it was just like a, a huge sigh of relief uh, because what turn, what started as this nice policy driven hoist that is, uh, you know, you go out and train for constantly just uh, went completely 10 different directions on us and it just happened to work out. Uh, I think we had the right crew for what we had. Um, and so uh, Kyle getting the guy into the cabin, uh, you know, got me where I could actually make radio calls and different things like that saying, hey, we're one man heavy. We're going to go screaming into Air Station Astoria. So, um, yeah, things just, things just happen to work out. They did. I like it. I like it. 
And uh, at that, that was the moment where, where Kyle put the camera down to help me get him in and then picked it back up to get my favorite part, which was Branch. High five. Did you see that? <laughs> Dude, I swear to God, it's my favorite. Oh, I loved it. Anyway, Kyle Dude, that actually, was awesome. Yeah, Kyle actually, uh, even though he had a camera up, he, he did put it away for the actual pickup. <laughs> <laughs> Once that boat rolled, he he went from okay, I'm just an extra man here to oh, um, I'm I'm going to become more <laughs> valuable asset here soon. So actually, while I was watching the waves incoming um, and timing out these waves to when I was going to pick a uh, branch up, Kyle was looking for the keeping eyes on the survivor for me. So I didn't even have to do that. I had somebody backing me up on it, and then. Uh, he also saw the ready for pickup out of branch, which I didn't even see because I was looking at the waves that were incoming. So uh, nice. going from cameraman to uh, a very valuable crew <laughs> that was essential. Thank, thank you, Mr. Spielberg. Uh, well done. Sure, <laughs> cut. Can we can we redo that? Can we, I need a different <laughs> angle. That's great. <laughs> Man, guys. This is awesome. Well done uh, to all of you guys, the entire crew. I'm going to throw a kudos to the uh, boat, the 47 footers out there. Um, let me throw out one more question. And that is having done this. And if you were able to do this whole thing over again, would you change anything or do anything different? Let me start with you, Will. Uh, I was thinking about this a little bit. Uh, so there was a period of time when, uh, so as branches swimming, towards the boat and trip like verbalizes this he he's like he sees the waves that big wave coming and he's like we got a worn branch and i didn't know what like I, I don't remember what i said like how you know it didn't click in my brain right now but if i would have if i could do it all over again i would have been in the radio like screaming at him stop swimming basically because we saw, you know, we could see that wave bearing down. Um, whether or not he could have heard me, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but if I could do it all over again, I would have, you know, reacted more quickly uh, to Tripp's observation that like, hey, like, there's a big wave coming. Um, I don't know, Brent, if you were wearing like a, an earpiece or if you had the radio on your vest, if it would have made a difference or not. Um, but yeah, that was like uh, one takeaway I had. There's, you know, a lot, you, you have a case and you debrief it and you're like, oh, you know, I could have done X, Y, and Z better. So that's always, you know, part of the process of us, you know, getting better, staying humble and uh, learning from the, our cases. So I like it. Good advice. Trip. And this is tough. Uh, I know, right? Hey, you know what? If you feel like everything went exactly as planned, like organized chaos, I'm good with that too. I'll throw that. I'll help you out a no, little bit. No, I think uh, maybe two things. Like one, I probably would let Will sit right seat. He's way better at voice <laughs> and uh, he wouldn't have felt the anxiety, or I would not have had the anxiety that I had when uh, when that wave crashed. Uh, and then the second, kind of like along the same topics of Will. Um, I know that before Branch uh, went off of ICS, like we talked about a plan and where we wanted Branch to go. But as I think back, like, I don't know if I explicitly said, do not go on the right side of that boat. We just talked about where to approach the boat from. Uh, and there was like three to five seconds of sheer anxiety of like, you see the wave, 
I was like, Will, we got to tell Branch. Will says how. And all it's just like, Branch, don't swim anymore. Just stop swimming. Like, we do not want him to get any closer to the boat. So that's just absolute clarity that uh, of how to make sure that our swimmer is not in a compromised position. Right on. Right on. I'm okay with that. I, you know, I appreciate you guys up front as you know, looking out for us saying, you know, stop or hey, even though we really can't hear you, it's, it's good to know it's there. All right. <laughs> Kyle, let me jump to you. Would you have done anything different other than like have four cameras set up and probably one on branch? And I would have not stopped recording. <laughs> I, was just, I was just trying to look out for my boy, get his uh, get his first rest recorded. And uh, oh, I mean, it was just when, when the boat hit, it was just like, gotta catch it, gotta catch it, gotta catch it. And then the second I saw him pop up, it was like, and everything's got to get back down, got to get back and got to get him back on the plane safely. So I love it. I love it. Uh, Joe. No, absolutely nothing. Uh, no? Right I, on. I think everybody did uh, their jobs and we adapted and uh, you know, everybody's alive, right? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. No, right I on. wouldn't have done differently. And branch. Uh, yeah, I think there's things I could have did better, um, but I think as a whole, definitely, like, I mean, I was in great hands, and then it was just, like, everything that went wrong got fixed, and it went perfectly given, given the situation. Yeah, right on. Yeah. I like, I, so my own curiosity question, so I, I remember being in big waves at one point in my career, and, uh, I remember looking back at the training that we went through in a school and uh, I was like, yeah, th this is what we train for. And this is why we do what we do. Give me your perspective from all the training you went through through a school and then being in that situation. Oh yeah. I mean, if I, I mean, let alone just that week, I mean, a school, everything leading up to it, like I'm, I, mean, I would have died if I didn't have any training. Like that would not, have, <laughs> that would not have happened. Um, but I think, what was extremely valuable was the training that week, even in AHARS, like learning how to navigate all that, doing all that, and also having a whole crew of AHARS instructors. Yeah. It was, that's, I feel like that's one of those things that made it everything go very smoothly. Right on. So you mentioned like just a little bit, you were like, when you saw everything uh, before you even left the cabin, you were a little nervous going out, uh, getting into the, the water and starting to swim over the vessel. Did were you just are you like on fire, ready to go, like zoned in? Uh, yeah, I think it was one of those things like in the cabin. It was like, I mean, I was in a room in a classroom full of swimmers who have all had cases before. Um, and I've never had one. And they let me go, which was pretty sick. I mean, they didn't have to do that. They could have been like, yeah, I'm going. Like, you Shout know? out to all the boys in the room. Yeah. Let Branch go get it. Well done, boys. That's what I'm saying. And they all, they all could have done probably way better and faster than I did. So, but um. But no, they weren't like, there, I, French. They weren't there. <laughs> yeah. But when I was in the water, it was, I, I mean, was able to kind of lock in. Um, There's definitely a little bit of anxiousness after that first wave hit, after that wave hit, not wanting to get tumbled like that again or the survivor to get tumbled like that again. Um, but no, it was definitely a training kicked in. I mean, it was very valuable training throughout the whole week. So, sick. That was a really nice shout out to all your instructors, by the way. Well done. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good to know that the uh, local law enforcement took care of the problem. 
of the guys that you rescued. So we'll leave it at that one. <laughs> guys, I'll tell you what, man, if you guys have anything else, uh, you're more than welcome to share it now. Other than that, I I'm willing to cut it out because this was an amazing debrief and I, I can't thank you guys enough for coming on. So you guys got anything else? I'm uh, just super proud of these guys. I mean, anytime you uh, hoist a survivor, like when they get into the cabin, it's an amazing feeling um, because usually like the hardest part's over. Uh, on that particular day, we had to go back in the Astoria Low Viz, um, which, you know, we had done time many times before, so it wasn't a big deal, but we were radioing back into um, like swimmer control and the classroom could hear it too. And they, you know, we told them we had a survivor on board and they had been listening to all the radio comms, you know, so it was cool. I knew they, they knew that, that Branch had, had got one. So yeah. it was badass, you know, <laughs> I think they were all pretty stoked. Yeah, no, just proud of these guys. Super proud to be uh, part of that case with them and part of the, the ARs crew. And yeah, it was, it was, an, it was really cool how it came together. Dude, love it. Uh, Joe, did you have one more thing? Yeah, if you don't mind, uh, the, you said a couple of minutes ago, you gave a huge shout out to the boat crew and uh, um, thank you for doing that. I, I don't that, call it the real rescue for nothing, you know, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that big wave that came through um, it, it made the case as high profile as it did. And um, it should have, I mean, Branch did an amazing job with it. Uh, I think it overshadows some of the other uh, smaller stories that's still awesome stories with the case, such as the boat crews that were um, not only transiting that bar to uh, try to get to the survivor, but they were also transiting in order to cover us because they knew an aircraft was flying really low to the water and next to zero visibility and 60 mile per hour winds, and they weren't going to turn around. Um, and so as they press forward, I think that's an awesome story. Uh, my own little personal story of, hey, that was probably my last rescue or my last case period. And it was cool. Branch's first. And so that's oh, that's, that's a personal cool. story that I think is really cool. Um, the pilots that navigated in almost zero visibility, trying to get us out there in the first place, and then us not having any certainty what's going on um, and still pressing on because we thought that the risk versus gain was there. Uh, so all these smaller stories that that come kind of come into play, yeah, they're overshadowed, but um, I think they're still worth mentioning, especially especially boat crews that were putting themselves on the line that doesn't really get any recognition for it, you know? Yeah. So shout out to them. Right on, dude. I, I appreciate that. Last call. Right on. I'll tell you what, guys, I cannot thank you enough. I really can't. Uh, I appreciate the full debrief. I know there's a lot of people that are listening right now that are like, wow, that's how that all went down. So thank you so much for sharing it. And uh, I'll be in touch with you guys. And, and one of these days, I'm coming out to Ahars just to hang out with you guys one more time, just to be there again. All right. And, awesome. and if if you'll let, I, maybe I'll just jump in the water and I'll, Branch, you can come save me, okay? I'm Branch, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah, I love it, love it. Right on. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much and, uh, and I'll be in touch. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go.
Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that star alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>